regardless of where you stand on the matter of data science sexiness, it's simply impossible to ignore the continuing importance of data as well as our ability to analyze, organize, and contextualize them. Data are changing how our businesses and societies function. They are being used to solve a ton of interesting problems and shaping the questions we can ask of the world around us. Hi, I'm James Lee, and this is Datacast. Join me for raw conversations with practitioners from the worlds of AI, machine learning, statistics, and data science. Hello everyone, uh, welcome to uh, another episode of Datacast and today I'm on the line with uh, Admin Lee. Admin is currently a data scientist at Micron Technology focusing on smart manufacturing and artificial intelligence. Uh, with his physics degree, Admin discovered and pursued his passion in data science and never looked back ever since. He is also an independent data scientist and consultant uh, helping companies and digital marketing agencies to achieve their marketing ROI using advanced social analytics and uh, machine learning. Uh, being a passionate writer who writes about data science, uh, his work and experience have been featured by a variety of publications including Kitty Nuggets, Medium, uh, Tech in Asia, AI Time Journal, and a local business magazine. So uh, welcome to the show, Abin. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Really appreciate it. Excited to be part of DataCast. Okay, so I want to start out talking about your educational background. Uh, so you got a BS degree in uh, applied physics from Nanyang Technological University in Singapore. So can you uh, describe your undergrad experience? So I started out in NTU, Nanyang Technological University, with a physics studies. And I think throughout my three and a half years journey in NTU, I learned and quite a bit about the math part, calculus, and also some of the fundamental physics theories that um, I really appreciate all these theories that can be applied in our, our daily life. So I think one of the best things that I learned throughout my undergrad experience is the analytical skills that I learned throughout from my laboratory experience and also some of the coursework that I have taken. I see. So can, can you elaborate more on what are some of the most useful courses that you took? Um, during your undergrad that um, you think prepare you very well for uh, a data science career? I would say um, calculus courses that involve multivariate calculus and also sort of the linear algebra that lay out the foundation of the deep learning and also machine learning that we have to apply in data science career. I think these courses that involve pretty much about the math part really prepare me well for a data science career when I transition from academia to data science career. I see. After your junior year, can you talk about your summer research internship at CERN, the European Organization for Nuclear Research in Geneva? Sure, definitely. I think CERN, my time at CERN was actually my turning point for my career because that was my first ever overseas internship from my undergrad studies. And I went to CERN to do a two-month summer research internship. And during this period, I realized and also I attended some workshops about machine learning and I started learning more and more about data science field and also I started learning more and more about the empirical studies and also some of the advanced techniques that are being used by all those researchers and physicists at CERN 
and all of these are really amazing and this experience really taught me a lot of different skills so so yeah my period at Stern really um, revealed to me a lot of different new things particularly of data science things which when I returned to Singapore after two months and I started digging out more and more about this field and this is how I began my journey in data science. That's really cool. So essentially, that that experience uh, was the initial spark for you to to get involved yes. with this whole domain, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so so after that experience, going back to school, you did a part-time data analytics internship at uh, SMRT Corporation for about like seven yes. months. So how how was that experience for you? That experience was, I think, was a very crucial preparation period for me towards my transition into data science career because during that period I was still a student undergoing my final year my final year project period and it was very hectic for me you know because I, I had to continue my studies and at the same time I got a part-time data analytics internship at SMRT Corporation but this whole experience really gave me how to manage my time well and also how to learn at a faster pace even though I was very busy with my pioneer project. And also this internship taught me a lot of different technical skills that I apply all these skills in my subsequent full-time job and also internships experience as well. I see, I see. So you try to balance both mm -hmm. uh, yes. schoolwork and uh, part-time job, which is, uh, I think, uh, makes you more resourceful in terms of dealing with, with time management, correct? Definitely, definitely. And then in... Uh, December 2017, you decided to graduate uh, one semester early to pursue a, a data science internship full-time at uh, Quantum Inventions. So can you uh, go over this experience? Sure. I think um, this was one of the hardest decisions that I made during my, uh, you know, my experience towards this internship experience because at that time I already graduated and I could actually pursue a full-time job. But instead, I went for a one semester earlier in order to pursue my data science internship experience at Quantum Inventions. And really this experience taught me a lot of the full cycle of a data science workflow. Typically from understanding the business problem all the way to data collection, data pre-processing, model building, and subsequently also the visualization and also to present these results to my stakeholders, i.e. my managers as well. I think this six months internship really taught me the full cycle of a, a typical data science workflow, which was the main reason why I wanted to go you know, into a data science internship before I went into a full-time job in data science field, because I wanted to learn all the full cycle, the, the accents, the typical workflow as a data scientist to learn more from other people as well. I think this internship really taught me a lot of this uh, technical and also non-technical experience, which was very, very helpful to me in my subsequent job. All right, yeah. and uh, you actually wrote a wrote an, um, a blog post talking about your uh, experience at Quantum Inventions, uh, called "My First Data Science Internship," yes. in which you, you know, actually share all that experience. Yeah. So, what motivated you to uh, write that sure. article? I think after this, my first data science internship at QI, i.e., Quantum Inventions, I really had a lot of thoughts on my mind. I wanted to write this piece because I think uh, for aspiring data scientists especially, if they want to go into their first ever data scientist internship, there are some of the things I think would be helpful to other people and that's why this really sparked me to write uh, some of the experience, also some of the mistakes that I made throughout my internship that I hope would be helpful 
to all these aspiring data scientists when they begin their first data science internship. I mean, I, I recently also just kind of complete one of the um, so my first you know internship in in, in uh, data science related work. Oh, so, really? Uh, I can totally I nice. resonate with you uh, in terms of uh, you know having that uh, initial exposure and want to share your experience. So. Uh, I think that's, that's, mm -hmm. that's uh, very yes. uh, generous of you to do so. And um, okay, so so following that piece, you you wrote a blog post called "Why did I reject a data scientist job?" Uh, in that one, you said that uh, having a perfect alignment between a job title and a desired job nature must sometimes not be the case, uh, and that put can can put many job seekers in a dilemma when they have to make a choice. So, what could be your advice for job seekers? to filter out the signals and the noise in uh, data science job posting? I think one of the advice that I would give for job seekers in order to filter all these signals among all the ocean of noise that you see in when it comes to applying for jobs in data science too, I think the thing that you have to look at it in particular would be the job description itself. When you look at the job description for, let's say for a data scientist job at a particular company and uh, the job description that they give usually shouldn't be too generic and also shouldn't cover so many things that you are not sure which kind of things that you have to do because job description usually in my experience are typically written by the supervisor of that department who is hiring or perhaps it is written by the HR itself so if this job description covers something that are very vague something that are very ambiguous something that are too generic and that is the first hint that you notice that this is some of the things that company may not even realize that they are not sure what exactly the kind of data scientist that they are hiring. I think this is the first signal that you have to notice before you apply for this job. This means that they are, even the department or the company itself, they are not even sure of what kind of projects or what are the things that they are actually targeting to, hence the, the kind of ambiguous job description that you see. And this is the first signal. The second signal I would say is to go for the interview, ask some of the questions that you have on your mind to the job interviewers so that you understand each other better. Because job interviews usually is a mutual kind of direction that not only they understand your background, also you also get a chance to understand their background as well. After you finish uh, your, your six-month work at QI during the summer of 2018, you, uh, you start working as a research engineer at uh, Titan Soft, where you uh, yes. uh, focus on artificial intelligence in uh, human behavior imitation to enhance the current mm -hmm. automation system. So, what are some of the interesting projects that you were uh, involved with? Uh, this is a very interesting thing to talk about because by far um, the project that I was working on when I was at Titan Soft was the most interesting project that I will work with because um, the project itself involves some of the a lot of uh, statistical techniques and also the field because the field itself is actually an online entertainment platform. So that means people it's an online gaming platform in fact. So that means people go to this platform, you know, to place their bets and also to to play some of the online gaming like soccer and all this stuff. And so all this experience, all this new industry some of the common topics and that I realized during my job at Titansoft really made me realize some of the interesting things and also some of the things that I could work on during the project itself. That means uh, the project that I was assigned to was actually to imitate the professional players in the game itself using some 
machine learning models, alright, and also to imitate these professional players, how they place their bets in order to win from the game itself. So I built a model to imitate these professional players on how they place the bets in a game in order to make the maximum profit from it using some modeling, some visualization, some um, some the data exploration techniques that I use. And I think this project really helped me understand a lot of this some of the business domain knowledge and also some of the technical knowledge that I got to apply in the project. And I think these are very interesting. Really, really interesting. Yeah, I uh, I read a lot of books about like behavior, behavior science in general, you know, behavior psychology. Uh, and I know, you know, recently yes. there's been a lot of uh, instead of building uh, models to uh, to mimic the human brain, like based on research from neuroscience, correct? Especially in in the domain of like game theory and reinforcement learning, you can do so by uh, by you know having yes. that sort of re reward policy stuff that uh, uh, you know mimic like I see in this case for you like someone who bet on a professional sport or even like you know a poker player for example, are some of the very very niche example of um, models being used to imitate human behavior. Yeah, so so I uh, can tell you. Huh. Uh, resonate with some of the part that you just mentioned. In another post called Five Lessons that I have learned from data science in real working experience, uh, you, you know, you share some of your uh, lesson. Can you quickly summarize this lesson to our audience? Yeah, sure. I think, um, so if I've read some of my articles, I think this, uh, um, one of these articles I actually wrote five lessons here. Uh, the first one is the business domain knowledge. I think um, I wrote these articles I think a few months ago after I, I began my data science journey in my internship and also full-time job itself. And what made me realize is that understanding the business domain knowledge is very, very important as a first step before you start doing any data analytics stuff and also building any model itself. Without the concrete and also deep understanding of what your business actually needs, you just can't do much. You just can't help your stakeholders solve their problems. The second thing is to have a detail-oriented mindset and workflow. That means when you design your own experiment to test your hypothesis, when you test your own sort of the assumptions, you really have to understand how to build this workflow, a systematic workflow, in order to test your hypothesis. And the third thing is also kind of related to the second one, which is the design and the logic of the experiment that you build. So this third point really came from my experience when I was at Titansoft, whereby I, I was making quite a lot of mistakes in building and designing the logic of my experiment. And after a few months, then I realized that something was going wrong, right? And then I redesigned the logic of my experiment by really understanding the whole workflow, how to test my assumption, etc. And I think this third point was pretty important. So the fourth thing is the communication skills. I think as a data scientist, you have to communicate your results, your insights to your stakeholders, your bosses, your managers, to convince them to take actions and also con to communicate some of the results for their actionable steps ahead. I think other than technical skills, I think communication skills is some of the most underrated skills that most data scientists, most aspiring data scientists are looking, are lacking of. Right. So the fifth thing is the storytelling. As data scientists, I think um, in real world experience, really have to story, have the ability to storytelling, your experience, your insights, and also some of the results to some of the people that are not technical enough to understand your models. That means when you 
you're presenting your results to managers who are not technical to understand your sort of the model technicality, and then this you have to present in a very storytelling format such that they are able to understand and digest what you have said to them so that they are able to take actions based on what you say. I think these communication skills and storytelling are hand in hand and some of the skills that also I'm trying to improve right now. For sure, yeah, yeah those are very, very logical. And um, like the teams, I mean, all these uh, five parts that you just mentioned, they kind of also uh, connected to each other, right? Like. You have to have a detail-oriented yes. mindset in order to design a, a thoughtful experiment, right? And you need some sort of business domain knowledge in order to tell an effective story. So I think all of these parts kind of uh, kind of relate to each other, and you need to develop them hand in hand uh, in order to to become uh, effective in your workflow, correct? Yes, definitely. And I still really think they are quite important right now, even after um, you know. One and a half years I've been in this year. I think, yeah, I'm still trying to improve day by day. Yeah. So there's uh, so much to learn, man. Mm -hmm. So you've been working at Micron Technology for for almost a year now. Uh, for the audience who are not familiar with mm -hmm. the company, can you share a brief overview uh, about the organization? Sure. So right now I'm working at Micron in the data science field, and um, so Micron is a semiconductor company building some chips for memory solutions. So for, that means if you are holding a, a handphone right now, chances are the, the chips, the memory chips that you are using in your handphone came from one of the chips that we manufacture from Micron, right? So right now, Micron technology company, they are focusing more and more into smart manufacturing and AI, which is also the core team that I belong with right now as a data scientist. And also the company is trying to automate a lot of things in throughout their whole business processes because to manufacture a chip that involves many many processes that can be optimized and also can be improved by data science um, techniques. So this is some of the things that I am working with, and also this is something that uh, our company is trying to focusing and prioritizing now. Awesome. So, yeah, it seems like you you are you are pretty enjoying your work there. Yeah, let's let's go over a couple of articles that uh, you have been written on Medium. Um, uh, recently that I found yeah, to be sure. uh, very informative. So uh, in a post called How to Ask the Right Question as a Data Scientist, you walk through the four different stages to define a problem statement. Can you give a brief summary of these four stages as well as a real-world example from uh, your work? Sure, I think uh, let's break it down this way. There are four stages here. The first one would be to understand the problem that needs to be addressed and, and solved, right? To, to refer back to my article that I wrote. And I think this is um, the most important step as a first, step, uh, first stage because without understanding the problem that your business or your company needs to be addressed, there's nothing we can do much by getting data in because, again, we have to understand the business domain knowledge that what's lacking now in our company, what's needed to be solved in our company is so important that we have to do this right now. So first and foremost, we have to understand the problem that needs to be solved in my company. And also, um, we have to access the situation with respect to the problem. That means even though you have identified a problem that needs to be solved, you need to understand some of the constraints, some of the restrictions, some of the limitations that are bounded within this problem itself. So, for example, you want to solve a problem, you have to understand some of the limitation 
uh, some of the resources that you have. For example, do I have enough CPUs to do this? Do I have enough hardware or software? Do I have enough work labor to do this in order to solve this problem within a given timeline? Right. So these are the things that you have to access before you can really start tackling the problem to have a realistic expectation among all the stakeholders. And the third stage that I would love to say is to really understand the potential risk and also the benefits of the project. That means in order to prioritize a project, you have to understand the, the good and bad things, right? To put in a very layman term. So you have to understand the, also of course, most importantly, you have to understand the, the business values that your project can deliver, which is the benefit. But on the other side, on the flip side, you have to understand the sort of potential risk, right, of this project that could incur. That means if I do this project, um, what are some of the risks that I, that I need to sacrifice, right? That I need to incur throughout this project. Maybe the cost, maybe the human human mistakes, or maybe some of the potential risks, uh, depending on the project that we are working on right now, right? Last but not least, I think, is to define a success criteria, which is called a metric to access the project. So you have a problem right now, and you understand the potential risks and benefit. So now you need to really identify what are the success criteria what are the metrics that you need to identify to really see whether this project is a success, right? Because at the end of the day, you need to know the project brings some of the values of the success to what you was, you know, a few months back. That means you've got to set a baseline for each of your project. And maybe after a few months, after your project's completion, now you expect your yourself the baseline whether you can see any improvement. I think these are some of the success criteria, metrics that you have to identify depending on the business domain that you're working on right now. Because different industries they may have different metrics to track. So really this varies different projects. And I think some of the let me let me give you a real world example right from my work as you mentioned. I think um one of the things that um, I'm previously worked on was also the work that I what we the project at Thailand Soft. So here, because I was at that time when I first joined this company, I was so not familiar with the domain industry as well. So I spent quite a lot of time talking with my supervisors, my bosses, my stakeholders, my users also as well to really understand what exactly is the problem that they are trying to solve, right? And also solve the things that we have to take care. of for example, the, the resources that we have right now to solve the problem, and also the risk that we could have incurred if we do this project, etc. Also, last but not least, throughout this project, I really try to, because I already set a baseline before I begin doing this project, right? So now I have a baseline. Also, at the end of the day, perhaps my success criteria is to achieve maybe be a few percent of profit margin. So this is this profit margin is my success criteria, and this is something that I need to track in order to assess the, the success of my project at the end of the day. Right. So this is some of the really high level overview of the real example at my work to really how to ask the right questions, right, as a data scientist, and how to access your project success as a data scientist as well. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I think uh, that's a very, very important point uh, for, for any people who yeah. eager to to, um, to make a substantial impact and, uh, you know, provide value to the company, which is, you know, having the, the right question at the first place, right? In another piece called Be Resourceful, one of the most important skills to success in data science, you uh, argue that resourcefulness is attained only 
when we combine the resourceful mindset and skills. So can well we talked a little bit about you know earlier when during your final year school you you kind of balance both school and, and uh, yeah. part time project. But uh, can you give another example from uh, you know your your personal experience? Sure, I think um, so. Part of the reasons why I wrote this article was in fact coming from my some of my personal experience at work, and I think um, the reason why I mentioned two things here, right? Mindset and skills. The first thing, mindset, you know, and uh, this mindset was really uh, based on my personal experience because um, sort of the internal ego, you know, when. You, when you have this kind of ego, internal ego that within yourself, you, you tend to be not asking questions when you face any difficulties and also try not to be resourceful, right? I think having the right mindset and skills to ask people the right questions, also at the right time, can really help you as a data scientist. I think um, one of the examples from my personal experience is, is this not related to my work? I think this of my personal learning experience. So when I face... In fact, I faced a lot of difficulties when I first started out in data science. I, I wasn't sure what to what to look for. There were so many, there was just so much information out there. Even when I Google search, you know, what is deep learning? Mm-hmm. And Google just come out with tons of tons of information and you, you are just lost. You don't know what to what to digest, right? What to read. So here usually what I usually do at that particular time was that I try to approach some of the data scientists that I knew on LinkedIn, you know, trying to ask them what are the things that I should focus on and they'll give me some advice to, to know, oh, maybe you should focus on this part, maybe you should do this, maybe this is the, the thing that you're looking for. I think this really saved me pretty lot of time, right? And the second thing that I did to be resourceful was to really ask people and to attend to attend meetup to ask people exactly the questions that I had in mind. For example, I attended quite a few meetups here in Singapore about some machine learning or deep learning technicality stuff that I had in mind. And I attended this meetup and also to ask the speakers of the questions that I had been struggling. And and, I, and usually at the end of the meetup, I would get clarified with some of my questions. And I think being resourceful is really to not to be, but it's really not to be bounded by your by your circumstances, despite you have a very limited resources, but you have to go beyond that, go beyond your comfort zone to really reach out to more resources out there, because right now it's the internet era, there's so much more information out there that you can reach out to, right, be it people, be it some of the materials out there, YouTube, whatever that you can think of, courses, and I think right now for learning journey experience, I think it's just limitless, you can learn whatever you want, and these are some of the important skills, I think, to succeed in data science because there's so much more info in data science and you just have to keep learning every single day. Yeah, one of the things that I always, you know, try to, to be better at is to embrace constraint, you know, like, uh, you know, like because I believe that constraint drives creativity, right? Once you have a very yeah. limited, you know, toolbox, two you know, resources on your hand, you can figure out a creative way to experiment and and combine uh, different things together and uh, especially in this digital uh, age you know like um, there's so much information so much noise right and one of the part that you yes. mentioned earlier is how do you can filter out all the good signals from all that noise and um, this first principle of being resourceful definitely 
um, you know, allow us to to uh, to pick out the, the best signals and 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 launch the career from there, right? Yes, and Google is the best friend, always. <laughs> I just Google everything when I don't understand something, and typically, most of the time, I will not say every time, I can find my answers there. Yeah. In a, a post call, how do I write up about data science on Medium? You share the mm -hmm. five core principles that are useful to your writing. Can you quickly go over these principles? Yeah, sure. So if I find myself my articles, in fact, uh, one of the things, one of the principles that I consistently adhere to is to have my style to be conversational, right? Because I think reading shouldn't be interrupted as a reader. So for me, I write from the perspective of a reader. So when I when I write, I try to be conversational, I try to put my sentences into into different paragraphs so that they are easier to read and also to let them understand some of the complex concepts that I'm trying to convey such that people who are reading my writings could understand my concepts, my messages more easily, right? And I think the second thing is to really be straight to the points. And in fact, if you explain some of the complicated concepts in data science field, Things are just too complicated that you, you just can't revolve, you just can't hit around the bush and just trying to, you know, explain this kind of complex idea such that people can understand. Just that, I think, I think the best way here is to really go straight to the point to, to really tell people what you are, what exactly you are trying to say, what exactly the message that you are trying to convey, right? So that people can really understand what you're trying to say. I think the third thing is really, you have to be authentic and be real and tell stories. Again, this comes back to storytelling, right, that we mentioned just now, right, some of the things that I learned from data science field. And when it comes to writing, you really have to write in a very authentic manner that you are trying, you are not trying to make it sound like you are a bit formal. I think being real and authentic is one of the greatest things ever when it comes to writing and speaking as well. And to tell stories to the audience of what are the messages that you are trying to convey for example, maybe today I'll write about um, how to build a machine learning model using Python, right? So there's so much things to talk about. So one of the things to be real and tell stories is to tell from your personal experience so that your audience can relate their experience to your own personal learning experience. I think being able to relate your personal experience, your mistakes, even your success to the audience could be particularly helpful to them to understand and also to appreciate your journey as well. And the fourth thing is to be receptive to feedback, including criticism, of course. I think throughout my writing journey on Medium and also other platforms as well, of course, I, I was very grateful for receiving uh, so many positive feedbacks from my readers, from my also some of my networks on LinkedIn, but also I received some of the negative feedback as well and some of the constructive negative feedbacks that I really appreciate a lot for some of my articles here. And using this, some of the feedback, I really improved upon all these advices and things and all this really helped me improve my writing style. And I think lastly, you have even you have all these principles in your hand, right? You have to be consistent to write. That means if you want to really, I think to achieve greatness, there must be a consistency. So when it comes to writing, really, you, you really want to leave an impact to your audience, you want to gain traction in your writing journey as a data scientist. I think first and foremost, you really have to be consistent. 
that means maybe you set a target, set a goal for yourself. You want to write an article every single week. This was the goal that I set earlier. I think after one year, I really consistently wrote my article every week. Even there were many times that I didn't feel like writing, but I still went ahead. Anyway, I think being consistent is hard, but also it's one of the most important things that you have to do when it comes to writing, you know. So I think, yeah, these are some of the principles that I believe are to be very important yeah, when it comes to your writing. And um, I also write a bunch on Medium as well, and I think like, um, yeah. that last point you mentioned about consistency, I think it's definitely the most important one because yes. only, be, only if you like, you know, kind of fall in love with the process of writing, you, you know, try to get back to it uh, week by week, can you, yeah. can you learn to be more conversation, conversational, can you learn to, to, to become a better storyteller, right? That habit of of um, you know put your thoughts in words um, on a weekly basis or daily basis you know is is uh, is the most important part of, of um, not just writing but I guess any sort of craft uh, that requires yeah, exactly. certain level of thoughts so uh, you know um, I think those those first principles um, uh, are crucial you know uh, like like you just already mentioned you uh, in your article called why you should be a generalist first, specialist later, as a data scientist. You <coughs> made an argument that, well, you, you made a, are you strongly to become a data science generalist first and a data science specialist after getting more experience and skills in different areas. So, our curiosity at this stage of your career, have you started thinking about what domains or areas of data science that you want to specialize yet? Yeah, in fact, I started thinking this not long ago, right? And um, I think uh, being in this field for almost two years, I I think I have been a generalist, right? As a scientist, I touch on different different things, perhaps uh, time series analysis in data science, maybe some of the things that cover image recognition, right? I think right now at this stage of my career, one of the domains that I'm particularly interested in would be NLP, which is the natural language, right? And I think this NLP stuff is something that I'm really passionate about. In fact, I have another side project that is related to this field, which perhaps I I will explain more right, later. But I think this particularly field is interesting is because right now we are living in an era where like, a lot of texts are just coming out from different devices, different, different platforms every single day. So text here means the words, right? Because NLP is all about dealing with words, finding correlation, finding meaning from the from the words, from the text itself. Even the apps, the website, the platform, and even the articles, right? All everything here revolves about the text. I think even though text seems true, right, compared to how we deal with our normal structured data, I think NLP here is really here to stay and will be the future for us to really how to harness and leverage on this technology for our daily life, for our businesses, and to really improve our life in the society. I think more than just my passion, I think this is some, some of the techniques that we can apply in various, various applications, right, in, in different industries. And that's why I think at this point of time, NLP should be uh, the main domain that I would like to focus on, right, as a data scientist. And I think this could be something that I want to specialize in. Yeah, but there's so much to learn right now in NLP. You know, birth model just comes comes out recently, and I think, yep, I look forward to learning more from this field. Yeah, birth model is like a pre-trained model, right? And uh, that you yes. apply for, for transfer learning. It's very similar to like 
uh, ImageNet uh, for computer vision. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that you're working on a, a personal project on NFP. Can you yes um, talk more about that? Yeah, I think this uh, is one of the side projects that I've been working on. Pretty a small project. So this is a project uh, whereby I work on the speech recognition, right? Um, so what I did was that I tried to gather some of the information resources that how to build a speech recognition from scratch. Right? Definitely it's quite hard, but I just looked through the information out there trying to start out on my own. Of course, right now I was trying out some of the, some of the open source um, open source speech recognition that some of the websites are providing. For example, if you look at the Google speech recognition, they typically have this library for people to try it out. For example, you use their library, right? You import this library and you try to just record your voice. And this library would actually hit the server from the API and try to come out with exactly the words, not exactly, but maybe just 80 to 90% accuracy to repeat what you have said. Some of the speech recognition um, that I, I'm working on right now, right? But right now I'm trying out some of the open source libraries to see how it works on. And the subsequent step would be to build this um, speech recognition on my own to try to see how I can, you know, um, get more some of the learning journey experience from this whole side project that I'm working on. I think this is pretty exciting because if you look at um, Amazon, Right, Amazon. I think right now they have a speech recognition device called I think I forgot name. Um, Alexa. Right? Do you know that Amazon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so I think voice technology should be something that we have to care about. I think this is the future, whereby I think um, voice technology will govern a lot, a big part of our daily life. Maybe not now could be some of the future technology that we should pay attention to. And that's why this is uh, one of the reasons why I started out my side project, to really learn more about this technology that could be beneficial to me to apply this in other applications in future. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, speech recognition has been, like, um, very popular, you know. Obviously, like, we got Siri from iPhone and then, you know, um, Microsoft Cortana or, like, um, yeah. Google Assistant, for example, all of these devices on our phone had that capability of uh, uh, recognize our voice and translate that into text or, you know, complete other action. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's great that, you know, you, you, you seem to have a, a certain level of interest in, in, um, in getting into this whole domain. From, from more of a other aspect, non-technical aspect, you, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on sort of um, the, the ethics and privacy of, of speech recognition. Obviously, like, you know, um, uh, it's not too um, important yet since you already just started, but what are the thoughts on, like, you know, in the far, in the far future, you know, when this device can understand uh, a lot of private information about us, what are some of the uh, responsibilities as, uh, as data scientists um, to, to design a system that uh, take that into account? Yeah, I think data privacy right now is some of the heat of hot topics that a lot of people are talking around, right? Especially after the Facebook scandal, you know, Cambridge Analytica, all this stuff. And people are really, um, really kind of aware of this kind of uh, data privacy issue. I think to me, I'm not very into this field, but I think to me, uh, some of my 
thoughts would be um, to incorporate some of these elements into the, the speech recognition itself. I'm not sure whether this is something that people are looking into because a lot of people are saying they are building advanced models in this field, but typically you won't hear people say, oh, actually I have taken these you know, data privacy stuff into account. And I think some of my thoughts here would be um, because if you, if you look at it, speech recognition is something pretty cool, but also something pretty scary, right? When it comes to your daily life, a lot of people can imitate your voice and all these things. And I think this data privacy issue should be regulated in some ways that if, for example, if you look at speech recognition technology itself, to the point, I think at a point, there should be a place whereby these things should be really regulated by a central organization. Uh, perhaps government, I'm not sure, to really constrain the, the limitation, right, to restrict what speech recognition can do to a certain extent such that the data privacy would not be violated, right, things like that. I think um, despite the fact that we have seen a lot of advancement in these so-called AI technologies, but in future, to really harness and leverage on these technologies for the benefit of the mankind here, right? I think there should be some sort of regulation, there should be control that, uh, such that this technology, this advancement of technology shouldn't really violate some of the, some of the fundamental rights that we, we are talking about here. So I think this is some of the thoughts, a very generic thoughts that I have on my mind right now. Yeah. Well, obviously, those, those are bigger questions. I'm just quite curious. Uh, and, and it's also like emphasize the importance of technologies to, to collaborate with people in government or people in, in the legal field or, you know, even like philosophers, for example. So, uh, you know, it's definitely a collaborative effort between uh, different disciplines, right? And that kind of go back to some of your, your principles about the importance of understand uh, domain knowledge and understand uh, how uh, to be more conversational, tell a better story in all in order you ma you master some of those skills you you as a as a technology slash you know you know data specialist that you can collaborate effectively with, with people from those different disciplines, right? Yeah, exactly. So you, you already talked about your personal project with that uh, uh, speech recognition stuff. And what are some of the other side projects that you've been working on these days? Um, there are actually quite a few things that uh, I'm working on right now. In fact, um, I do writing on Medium. So this is one of the side projects that I'm working on. And the other side project that I recently just started not long ago is my um, my speaking journey. Right. I think in the science field, um, to really be able to present your results to your stakeholders and in a very storytelling format. So here comes the two things, right? Communication skills and also... To me, I call it as a storytelling skills. I think this is something that is so important that I really started picking up these skills like officially to learn from others. So here I just really joined a postmaster club in Singapore not long ago, right? Uh, I think one month ago. And to really improve my speaking skills. And I see this as my one of my side projects because I think to me this is very important project because I think I see it as an opportunity for me to practice my speaking skills in front of the public and also to practice some of my other interpersonal skills, i.e. soft skills that um, that I can improve on as a data scientist. I think um, also I do some of the sort of the consulting 
work for my clients. So there are some things that I'm working on right now. Writing, speaking, and also some of the consulting um, project, data science project that I'm working on, you know, with some of my clients here. So things are getting hectic, but uh, it's pretty exciting because I really learn a lot throughout all these different side projects that I can really use to improve myself personally and also professionally as a data scientist. Yeah, I'm glad that you got involved with Toastmaster. I think that's one of the best uh, <laughs> yeah. international organizations to just... Um, you know, learn the art of public speaking and, you know, just gain confidence in front of the crowd. So, yeah, myself, I'm trying to probably like when I start my, my career, I'll probably try to get involved with that as well. That's one of my, in one of my uh, to-do lists in the future. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad yeah. that you mentioned your idea of consulting. I think that's, uh, I mean, given the, 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 the pace of uh, tech development, obviously there's a lot of, you know, business folks who want to... Um, take advantage of AI in the organization. So uh, I feel like one of the challenges is to, they're gonna reach out to like people with the with certain skill set in order to consult for them. And being the fact that you you, um, you display your 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 uh, value on, and um, the technical know-how via writing or speaking, it's become easier to, to do good consulting. Um, yeah, definitely. yeah, I saw that you also involved with the AI Times Journal as a committee member uh, yeah. for the uh, AI for Education 2019 initiative in which you have identified and showcased the most impactful and beneficial application of AI in the field of education. Can you talk more about this involvement? Yeah, sure. I think this uh, is my first initiative that I joined as part of the member here. I think this was pretty exciting because um, we received, as, as a community member, really, uh, in, throughout the whole initiative here, we received a lot of applications from different companies in the field of education that, um, a lot of applications that showcase their expertise, their, some of the benefits that they portray, that they deliver to their clients, to different people, the society, and they all focus in the field of education. That means, in short form, this is what we call the education technology. That means they, they might include some of the artificial intelligence element in the applications itself, or perhaps they, they have some of the some of the pretty advanced technology, for example, maybe speech recognition, maybe some of the uh, personalized experience that they customize the teaching materials to every single student. I think these some of the very advanced technologies that should be included in, in our current education system because I think education shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all kind of system so that you know every student they just learn from the same resources from the same system. I think everyone has their own individual learning style, learning preference and I think given the benefits provided by AI here in the field of education, this really can cater to their needs, can really recommend some of the materials that are suitable to every single student. Perhaps because the pace that every single student has is different, right? Because maybe this student is slower than the other student, this student may be um, more familiar with this subject. So all these boils down how we apply this in the, in the field of education that we are talking about here using AI. And here we receive a lot of applications from different companies and we review every single application here to see uh, which are some of the most impactful applications that the 
companies have so that we can identify all these different applications and showcase the one of the maybe the most impactful and beneficial applications that we have in our hands here and then throughout the whole initiative at the end of the whole project we review the most impactful application and so so-called the 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 best company right that really um deploys what we would deem as the soft the greatest and also some of the beneficial applications um, that are applied in the field of education with the AI technology that they provided. Right? I think, uh, of course, there are a lot, a lot of applications provided by other companies. They are all very impactful and uh, beneficial applications. Just that, um, I think some of the things that the other factors that we also included uh, throughout our own review session, it could, it could be some of the human factors, some of the recommendation scoring system, right? Things that we included in our consideration. I think every company is doing a great job here, providing some of the user experience of the recommendation um, system in our field of education. I think, I think this is the direction that our education system should be pointing to, right? And throughout this initiative, I really hope to raise the awareness of how we can apply AI for education not just for primary school, not just for secondary school, not just for uni, but for all different stages throughout the whole line of education. And I think it's something that we should focus on. Uh, I'm sure when I include that, um, that link to the initiative in, in, in the show notes so people can um, take a look and learn more about um, some of that work that you, you already mentioned. Um, and obviously like with some of the fast growing pace of technology uh, it's important to to bring that in, into you know the education domain which is going to have um, uh, allow the, the next generation to become more familiar with uh, with that and what prepare them for, for what comes next in you know the 22nd century for example right um, yeah yes can you share your thoughts regarding the tech and data community in Singapore? Yeah, sure. Um, being here in Singapore for such a long time, I think um, the tech and the data community right now in Singapore are definitely booming. Same thing as blockchain here in Singapore as well. But let's focus on the tech and the data community part. Here, right now, we in Singapore, right now, the government, because uh, the government, our government here in Singapore is advocating um, a project, a big project, a national project called Smart Nation. So what this Smart Nation means is that they want to include more and more data elements that they can harness and leverage on, uh, perhaps AI, machine learning, all these things, techniques that they can include in their projects, different projects such that they can produce a more community, a more people that are more data literate. Like they want to have a more tech and data conducive environment here in Singapore and that's why in, in, in Singapore the government and a lot of other organizations here are providing different uh, funding, different sponsorship, different scholarships and so different other things for people to get involved in the uh, tech scene here in, uh, in, in Singapore here. That's why you can see in Singapore if you happen to be here, uh, you will see a lot of different tech startups, different AI startups are booming right now in Singapore because there are so many VC funding from different different investors, different people, different even universities themselves. They invest a lot of money in, in this tech 
as well, such that uh, a lot of startups, even startups from overseas, they are coming here to Singapore to start building their company here because of the conducive environment that uh, the Singapore is uh, providing here. And also talking about the data community here in Singapore, we have so many, many meetups here in Singapore that are focusing on different things. For example, if you look at big data, we have uh, multiple big data meetups here in Singapore. Maybe if you just look at TensorFlow, we have one of the largest meetups here in Singapore that solely focuses on you know, um, applying TensorFlow in different applications. And usually these meetups are held Google, right? Because TensorFlow was built Google. So, um, yep, so a lot of different meetups and also some of the uh, tech environments here are booming around in Singapore. And personally, I feel very fortunate because I am already in Singapore right now, ready to learn from all these amazing different tech giants, a lot of different tech people. Uh, also, being a part of the whole data science community here is something that I really cherish a lot, right? And yeah, I think Singapore right now is uh, really the one of the best places here, best places here to really learn more about the tech and also to, to really to be a part of the very amazing data community here in Singapore and things are really definitely going in a positive way and I really look forward in future what Singapore can achieve. I'm just curious what are some of the big, some of the big um, tech companies in Singapore that uh, people might have heard of like you know outside the country? Oh, outside the country. I think uh, one of the most important startups here is Grab. I'm not sure you have had a Grab. Grab is like a Uber. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So everyone takes Uber. Yeah, yeah, Uber. And um, so this is one of the biggest news recently, actually. So Uber, they have their own market share here in Southeast Asia. Just uh, recently, it got acquired by one of the biggest startups here called Grab. So Grab is also um, doing a lot of different stuff, but particularly they focus on the transportation, right? They provide all this uh, the product platform for people to order order the taxis, etc. And now we even have the Grab food, you know, for delivery. And so so Grab here is really one of the biggest startups in Singapore right now. So they have their HQ here, they are based in Singapore and also this is backed by a lot of different big investors like um like SoftBank. It's backed by SoftBank and maybe other other biggest investors, other VC fundings uh, for Grab itself. And I think Grab right now, even though they're operating at a very startup seat, the ecosystem, the size that the company is operating on is really large enough that um, it could already acquire the shares of Uber in Southeast Asia here to really expand their businesses across the regional uh, businesses here around here. Yeah, Grab. So Grab is really a startup trying to be a super app. It's very similar to what you can see in China, mm-hmm. right? Alibaba, uh, um, the apps here, they're trying to use the WeChat to be the super app that can operate into different, different industries, payment, your daily life, how you make the transaction, etc. for your, yeah. So Grab here is really becoming a super app that really something that people will use every single day for different purposes right now in um, in Singapore, also in other other countries as well. So if you talk about startup, I think Grab should be something that uh, we can really pay attention to. I think this startup is really doing a good job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with Grab because, uh, yes. well, I'm, I'm Vietnamese, so like a couple, couple of years ago when I went back home, I 
So it's like oh. both Uber and Grab at the same time, but like after a few, I think like a few years or so, like Uber got out of, of Vietnam and then they, they transferred everything in Grab. And I think one of the points is just yes. like, um, yeah, like the, this company started in, in Asia, they probably uh, understand the the, um, the, the, the the local culture better, right? They, they try to personalize the technology to fit the, the environment, the local environment and and fit the, the personal needs, um, you know, uh, unlike Uber, who's just tried to kind of expand over the world, like apply the, the Western method of abusing technology to all other parts of the world. That might not be totally relevant in, in like Asia, for example. And uh, yeah, uh, obviously, like pretty familiar with some of the AI development in China. And I, uh, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned those points in terms of uh, how how these small companies are trying to to become bigger and, and, and become super app, allow you to uh, write share, make payments and you know order a doctor appointment for example. Yep sure the startup scene here is really booming not just for Grab but also for other various um, small startups that are really growing rapidly right now with the a lot of different fundings, a lot of different initiatives that are provided by the government here. I think this is pretty awesome because uh, this really encourages a very healthy ecosystem for startups to thrive here, especially for the tech startup and also for the data science community here. So, uh, looking back at your whole journey into data science, what was your lowest point and how did you deal with it psychologically? Oh, this is a good question. <laughs> so, looking back for my whole journey in data science, I think the lowest point that I encountered was um, during my a transition from physics into data science and at that point of time that period of time when I was thinking should I really go into data science is this feel, feel suitable to me am I doing the right thing right this was some of the questions that I asked myself and I was considering to transition from physics uh, to data science right because at that time I, I was a few years back I I was still studying physics and my goal was very simple. I wanted to further studies because as a physics student, chances are you have to further studies. You've got no choice because if you want to really excel in this academia, you need to go further studies, at least master or PhD, such that um, you have a chance to become perhaps a researcher, perhaps a professor, perhaps a lecturer, things like that. So after I went to CERN, I realized that that uh, actually data could be really used to apply these benefits into different real-world applications and businesses. And this is where I realized that data is such an interesting thing that I really consider doing this you know, as my core career, which is what I'm doing right now. And I think after considering so many aspects, so many and good and bad, I think I, I decided to struggle for I think a few months, right? I mean, I was doing an internship in quantum inventions. I was still considering should I really go through this field? Should I just go to study? Should I just go somewhere else and do other things instead of just data science stuff? And so after considering so many aspects, after talking with a lot of um, data scientists in this field, and then after reading a lot of articles, after going to a lot of meetups, I told myself that data science it's really something that I'm passionate about. Really, I really want to spend my time, my career doing all these things. And then this was the point where I realized that I got to pivot. I got to pivot from academia into data science field. And this struggle really gave me a lot of uh, sleepless nights, to be honest. I just kept thinking, should 
I really go into this field? Should I choose this path, right? So after that, so this came with a lot of uh, emotional and also psychological struggle because um, I, I got to make a choice, a very important decision that I got to change my career in a 360 degree, something from academia into something that I don't really have experience now. I think um, this period of time was something that I struggled a lot, but also um, thinking back from now, I think this was one of the most um, greatest period that I was so grateful for that because this decision really made me who I am today and I'm so grateful for that. When you said you tried to deal with it uh, emotionally, psychologically, was there any, how do you keep yourself motivated, like, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of, like, books or podcasts or people, or like, what, what sort of approach that you use to just deal with it? Oh, yeah, I think um, the only thing that has kept me motivated during this period was that I attended a few webinars provided by a software data scientist that I knew on LinkedIn. So I learned from them and also I learned from some of my peers, some of the people who are, who are in the same journey as mine, who are still pursuing their data science career, but just they were not sure how to do it, but they just share their experience and learning journey on Medium, or maybe on YouTube channels, or maybe on other platforms. I just read some of this information, trying to digest their journey, how they encounter the difficulties, and how they solve these problems, and what are the sort of things that they learned, some of the impacts that they made. Now, all this really motivated me, how to deal with this psychologically, because when I think back right now, the struggle that I had was really coming from my insecurity, my fear, because I, I wonder, if I go into this field, what if I couldn't achieve anything? What if this is something that I'm not passionate about? What if something? this is something that I just like it for the sake of the pay, right? Because data science, as you know, the pay here is pretty good. But, um, but if you think back, so all this just comes from my fear, right? And after that, I think... There's no more what if. I think I have to do it. I have to make a choice. I have to really pivot from from something that I like to something that I'm passionate about. I like physics. Even now, I like physics still. Just that it's not something that I'm passionate about to the extent that I will consider uh, doing physics for the rest of my life. <laughs> if you think this way. So if you ask me, uh, what, would like, what would you like to do for the rest of your life? I would say, yep, data science. Right. But I would struggle to say this for physics. So this is something, um, some of the things that I considered earlier when I uh, was making my decision that I should go into this field. So I, I want to uh, route our conversation with uh, one of your latest posts on LinkedIn uh, called uh, One Year After Graduation. Here's what I've learned in which you share the six lessons that you learned. Can you share these lessons again with our listeners who are about to graduate from college? Yep. Um, thinking back, I just graduated one year ago. I think uh, I tried to reflect back and also discuss some of the lessons and I hope it would be helpful uh, to other people. The first one is really your mindset is what makes you thrive or die. I think, um, I think having a proper mindset, a positive mindset is really what makes you successful or not. Because... Um, Previously, when I was trying to learn something new, I didn't have a proper mindset. I just tried to see 
this as a very, very, how to say, as a surface level kind of things that I want to learn. I didn't have a proper mindset. For example, if I look back, I, I wanted to go into data science, right? People say um, data science now is a very uh, a good job, has a very good opportunity, has a very good job prospect. Actually, what makes people successful in this field is not their willingness to to really learn all the technicality, willingness to solve all the problems. So it really boils down to the mindset that you have, what exactly that you are trying to make. Are you trying to make an impact in this society? So this is a very high level kind of mindset that I'm talking about, that really what makes you consider to be, uh, that really what makes you consistent, right? Because we are talking about consistency here. We're also talking about some of the things that uh, you need to persevere as a data scientist. But this doesn't just apply to data science, I think this applies to everywhere. So the second thing is to really invest in yourself, right? I think um, a lot of people, they come out from school, they will think that, oh, I'm done. I'm done with the education all days long, all years long, after 18 years of education, right? But even though, in my perspective, even though we are done with our formal education, I don't think education should stop once you are done with your schools, because I think education is a lifelong Street. It's a lifelong journey whereby you have you really have to invest in yourself in different areas. For example, writing, speaking, something that you are passionate about, something that you think you need to know, but you couldn't learn it from your schooling days. Something that uh, you need to get yourself aware of, get yourself educated. Perhaps you want to know more about investment, you know, finance strategies, etc. So all these should be some of the personal goals I would say that you need to read. Be invest in yourself, maybe invest not just your time, your effort, but even your money, right? You need to spend some money to buy some courses that you think will be beneficial for you in long term. And I think even you don't see the results in short term, but investing in yourself, perhaps in a few years down the road, you will see that, oh, actually you can apply some of the knowledge, some of the, some of the things that you learned a few years back. I think it's a, it's a long term strategy to really keep learning and improving every single day. Um, the thing here is that whatever you do, you have to be consistent, right? We are talking about the consistency again. <laughs> uh, I think um, whatever things that you need to do, really, you have to be consistent about it. You, you can't just do one thing uh, for several months and then you stop. So take my writing journey, for example. I started writing uh, since last year. There were many, many times that I really wanted to just give up to stop because I didn't see a lot of traction from my writings. I didn't, I didn't really receive a lot of uh, uh, good feedback about my articles because I think, I think that uh, no people just wanted to see my articles, right? I, I was just very negative about everything that I did. So here, I, at the end, I decided to be consistent, to keep writing, to just do whatever that I was doing. And I was glad that I did that because I think being consistent was something that uh, really made me who I am today. So one of the habits that I'm trying to improve. So the I think the fourth one is uh, to really listen more and talk less. A lot of people, me for example, uh, when I join a conversation, be it at a meetup groups, be it with my friends, be it with my stakeholders. Previously, I tend to talk more. I want to be about uh, me, 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 me. I want to talk about myself. I want to talk about everything just centered around me. After that, I realized that actually you, you really to have a 
better outcome, better conversation, more quality conversation, you have to listen. You really have to listen. Like, really, you, not just hear, but really listen to see what people have to say to understand them better, to really see how you can add values to them, how you can help them. At the end of the day, it's not about me, 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 right? Things about how you can add values to other people's life. Because when you add more values to other people's life, when you help more people, chances are things will come back to you in return. Okay, so the fifth one is a bit radical. Uh, it's a bit uh, critical here. Um, in my article, I wrote about uh, uh, this line here. Nobody give a damn about you, right? So this realization came from the fact that um, a lot of the times when I was trying to... Um, my personal brand on social media I was quite active on LinkedIn right a lot of time I was a bit hesitant whether I should write this post whether I should like write this article because I was afraid of getting judged by other people what if what if these people doesn't like my article what if this person you know uh, doesn't doesn't like what I said on the post what if this person find my post rather sensitive rather negative what if there's so many what if that's uh, at the end of the day, I think we should just go ahead and do it. Because at the end of the day, people will judge anyway, regardless of what you do. I think just doing what you think is right, doing the, okay, as I always say, doing the right thing at the right time is always the right thing to do. To me, at least. So to me, to really pursue your dreams, whatever things that you're passionate about, you really have to take a step forward to really just do it and things will just fall, fall into it. You don't, you don't need to really care about so many other people's opinions, so many other people's perspective. Just, just have to do it. Do whatever that you feel is the right thing to do and you achieve much more than you can imagine. And the last one is my favorite one. If not now, when? Right. I think this is also the quote that I printed out particularly and I hang on the wall beside me right now. And because why? I think uh, even though for people who just started out, who just graduated, maybe you are in uh, 24 years old, maybe you are 25 years old, maybe you are in 28 years old, it doesn't matter. I think uh, regardless of the age that you are in right now, whatever you do, whatever that you plan to do, but, you, but somehow you are not just doing it, I think the best time to start was yesterday. I think the best time, the next best time is now. You don't have to procrastinate. You don't say, oh, maybe I'll just do it tomorrow. Maybe I'll just do it next year. Maybe I'll just do it next month. They're always tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. You just have to get started and just have to execute your plans. right? You don't, you don't have to plan so much about it. You just have to execute and really take action on what you want to achieve. And this is some of the lessons um, that I, I learned throughout my one year down the road after graduation and I really hope that uh, these lessons could be helpful to some of the aspiring data scientists or maybe other graduates you know who just came up from schools and yeah. Alright awesome Ratman thanks for being intentional with those things uh, yeah. lessons that you just talked about. At this part of our conversation uh, I want to move on to the closing segment in which I'm going to ask you three questions and you can give some tactical advice for people who are seeking them okay. Uh, the first question yeah, is sure. What are some of the companies that are doing exceptional data science work that you really admire? Oh, I think these. Uh, I think a lot of companies right now, especially in Singapore, are doing a lot of cool and exceptional data science work. Be it the 
small company, medium-sized company, or big companies. I think um, one of the startups, I will talk about a small company first. I think the big companies, uh, we already know, maybe Facebook or Google, I don't know. But I would like to talk about the startup kind of companies that are really doing exceptional data science work, right? Uh, one of the startup, uh, because this startup is just starting out, maybe a lot of people may not, heard, may not have heard of this startup before. This startup is called Bitrate. B-I-T-C-U-R-A-T-E, Bitrate. And this startup is focusing on using AI to provide more data intelligence, more predictive analytics in crypto analysis world. Because right now, blockchain is booming now in Singapore. And a lot of different blockchain startups who are specializing in all these cryptocurrency data intelligence that they are providing so many um, sophisticated, some of the very advanced machine learning algorithms that can uh, achieve some of the accurate prediction when it comes to the crypto prices prediction. So what this big creator does is that, uh, because I know some of the data science people behind the company, and I know a lot of different exceptional things that they have been working on. So what big creators is that they collect all these data, the text data, from different social media, different platforms, and they have so many data, the text data, and also blockchain data that they have. So what they're doing is that the data science team behind is really running a lot of different advanced machine learning, and also some of the um, reinforcement learning algorithms that help them to provide a more decentralized um, predictive analytics insights for their people, for their users to see. There's so much info out there, they are trying to really centralize everything and provide uh, sort of a very accurate insights. It's very similar to the stock prediction, but here we are talking about the crypto price prediction. right? Maybe if you use that platform, you realize that they'll show you some of the, some of the predicted prices in a very accurate format in, in a certain time frame with a certain probability. And we, all these are powered by the, the backend, the algorithm, sort of the exceptional uh, people, some of the exceptional work and models that they have been working on tirelessly to provide these accurate insights to their users. And I think they are really doing an amazing job. I think you should really check out on that. Be curious who startup, who company based in Singapore focus on all these AI power analytics in cryptocurrency domain. Yeah. Second question is that what is one book that you would recommend for people who want to develop a better analytical mindset? I would recommend the book that I'm reading right now. It's called The Lean Startup. So this Lean Startup is, I just started reading this book not long ago, but I really see that uh, the gist of this book to really help me develop a better analytical mindset. So if you haven't heard of this book before, maybe you can uh, take a look at it. It's, uh, uh, it's a book whereby it teaches or educates people on how to build a successful business with uh, one of the very practical feedback loops, I would say. So the feedback loop is about build, measure, and learn feedback loop. It's kind of a analytical mindset and also skills that we as a data scientist or maybe other people who are not in this field that can apply in their business world, in their daily life, and also in their company as well. So to develop a better analytical mindset, I think first and foremost, uh, we have to read some of the some of the greatest people, some of the greatest companies, some of the greatest methodology that people used in the past on how to develop these skills. I think uh, reading the Lean Startup really helps me develop how to be better in 
terms of the analytical mindset and also in terms of enhancing my analytical skills as well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, uh, I read that book like cool. probably a couple of years ago, but uh, it's definitely uh, long-lasting advice. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, I, I, yeah, Eric, I think Eric Rice actually wrote another. I think he wrote another book called The Startup Way. I think like two years ago. Yeah, just to uh, say how how different nations and you know you know uh, incorporate that view measure feedback loop that you just mentioned in in uh, in the countries. So it's a much more global scale. But I I think it's definitely uh, also a good read just just to see. Some the, the application of, of that uh, methodology. Imagine that you can send out a tweet to all the aspiring data scientists on Twitter. What could you tweet about? Well, I would. Let me let me give you give here uh, a quote, right? By Jack Ma. I think uh, pretty much you already seen that. Um, never give up. Today's hard. Tomorrow will be worse. But the day after tomorrow will be sunshine. I think this really when it comes to pursuing your career as an aspiring data scientist is something that you really have to be consistent because um, in data science world to really go into this field from something that uh, especially when you're not in this field when you are not in a computer science world if you want to go into data science as an aspiring data scientist there are so many obstacles so many difficulties that you have to face and you just shouldn't give up because things are hard in the beginning you have to keep consistently going forward and learning from the, I don't know, learning from different uh, greatest data scientists, learning from so many resources out there. You have to be resourceful and just keep practicing your skills, practicing your craft. I think uh, at the end of the day, down the road, you will achieve what you want. Perhaps your dream is to become a data scientist. Perhaps you want to learn more about what data scientists can do for your company. And all this should really come down to the fact that just don't give up. Keep going forward and keep learning, keep improving, and I believe one day you will achieve success. All right, that's beautiful. I really appreciate you sharing your experience, uh, your career, your writings, as well as uh, the nugget of wisdom. Uh, and I'm sure that um, you know people are gonna find uh, to be effective. I'm gonna link all those uh, articles as well as um, resources that you that we talk about in the chat, in the show notes, so people can, uh, yes. can dig into them, okay? Alright, Admin, thanks a lot. Thanks, thanks for the time, James. Really appreciate your time today as well. I really enjoy having this uh, very enriching conversation with you. Well, that's the wrap for another episode of Datacast. Hopefully, you have learned something insightful and interesting from my guest today. You can read the show notes from the podcast website at datacast.simplecast.fm. If you want to get instant updates when a new episode is released, either follow me on Twitter or subscribe to my newsletter on my website, jameskelly.com. It is my greatest pleasure that you listen to this podcast and take advantage of the data revolution coming upon us. Goodbye for now.